Welcome to We Are DB. I am Brenton, joined as always by Danielle. Hello. Join us as we count up the IMDb's best movies of all time and discuss some of the greatest films you mightn't ever have seen. This week, rated as number one on the Internet Movie Database by millions of film lovers from around the world is The Shawshank Redemption. Released in 1994, starring Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman as the two leads, The Shawshank Redemption is a prison film set in the US state of Maine, opening in 1947. Based on the Stephen King novella Rita Hayworth and The Shawshank Redemption, the film is written for the screen and directed by Frank Darabont. Radio. So, let's get started talking about How many this times movie. have you seen this movie? Oh, I've seen it so many times. <laughs> yeah? Because, um... This actually was the first time that I've ever seen Shawshank from intro to close. What a sin. Because, what'd you say, what a sin? Yeah. (laughs) So, because this movie would play all the time on TV, so I'd always catch it about, like, maybe 15 minutes in to half an hour in. So I'd seen it, like, I'd seen the main plot points. Yeah. Probably, like, Eight times. I've probably seen it about eight to yeah, ten times. Yeah, like, I've... Maybe even twelve. I don't know. I've seen it yeah. a lot, but this is actually the first time that I've seen it all the way through. Yeah. I really enjoy it. It was nominated for uh, seven Oscars, including Best Picture. Oh, really? But it didn't win anything. It didn't win anything? No. It wow. was it was a bit of a box office flop. It, really? It really didn't do well. It was critically acclaimed. Always was. But it uh, it made $16 million in its initial uh, theoretical release, mm-hmm. which, to put that in perspective, um, it was uh, the same year that Pulp Fiction came out, made $214 million. I was going to ask, what else was coming out at that year that this one did so This is 1994, badly. so okay. uh, Forrest Gump okay. yep. also came out with $678 million wow. at box office. Shawshank made sixteen. That's insane. The budget of Shawshank was $25 million, so it didn't even break its budget. That was just first week's revenue. So. No, that was its initial theoretical release. Okay. But after it was nominated during awards season, it was re-released into theaters, and it bumped that number up to $58 million. Okay, so, so at least it made its money back. It made, it made its <laughs> money back eventually, and it was only when it came out in VHS and DVD that it really became a cult following. And to think that that's the movie that's on number one. Yeah, that it did so poorly it on did, initial yeah. release. There's a few different reasons I could think of why it didn't go well. I mean, I am really surprised. I think part of it could be that it sounds like revenge or something. Which I don't really it. understand, because it's not really a ad- redemption story. Uh, I can see why. You can see is. why? Yeah. I, I don't want to talk about that bit without going into spoilers too much. Um... Also, based on what else was playing at the time, like, I think, too, even if you knew a little bit, it's like, oh, it's about this guy who's in prison. Cool. Yeah, people weren't really you know open I mean? to prison movies at the time. That wasn't really generally well, received. I think on a surface level, I mean, even me, when I heard about it, I was like, I don't know what the hell that's about. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Because of the title. You're like, the Shawshank, what, what the hell I've is that? I've also heard that people... Never remembered what the movie was called. That's a, that's another reason as yeah. to why it didn't do well. I think yeah. even the novella called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption is a terrible name. Like, what does that wordy. mean? Yeah, yeah it's and very I mean, wordy. If you know the plotline, it makes perfect sense. But just but upon... you wouldn't in 1994. No, and upon looking at it, it's like, what 
what does this have to do with Rita Hayworth? Is it about it Rita Hayworth? It literally has nothing to has do nothing, about Rita Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that's that's my initial thoughts as to why it did well. I like I'm surprised, but you know, upon thinking about it, it kinda makes a little bit more and sense. And something that I hadn't thought about the very first few times that I watched it, there's no females in this whole movie. Which makes sense. It does make sense I mean, because it's a man's present. There are Brooks, this character, uh He'd been in Shawshank prison for 50 years. And I was thinking, you know, like, I think I even mentioned to you, you wouldn't have seen any women yeah. in that time. And then I, as I was thinking, that was when he got let into his halfway house room. And I think that's the only woman you see in the film, other than that snooty lady at the grocery store. Yeah, the grocery store. Those the are the only time. two women. Yeah, and they don't have speaking lines. Uh, the one does. One of them does? She's, she's like, tell your man to double bag or whatever. Oh, that yeah. lady, yeah. Yeah, so there's like that woman and then that lady, that other lady doesn't have a speaking line. That's the only two women in yeah. that whole, yeah. So it's a high security prison. Obviously, these guys are going away for a long time. And that's generally the the whole plot line is the life of people who are sentenced to life. In, life in prison. In life yeah. in prison. I don't think that we can discuss much more about this in depth without going into spoilers, so just make sure you go watch the film and then then come back. So we're not going to do much of a spoiler-free zone on this one. Okay. So I have read uh, the novella Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, and as we were watching it this time, I made a few dot points as to what the differences are between the book and the movie. And even though this isn't us discussing the book, you know, very few people watching the film have read the book, um, I think in discussing the differences between the two, it's going to bring up some good points about the film, so I'd like to yeah, discuss those. Some interesting points. Yeah. One of them is the fact that Brooks isn't in the book. Brooks isn't in the book. There's a mention of Brooks. It Basically, it's one paragraph where it's like, the old man Brooks, he was in the library, he got on parole after 40 years, and that was it. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. So therefore, Frank Darabont, the who wrote the screenplay, took that and ran with it, which I think is a very good point because he gets to show the emotional depth and people who were institutionalized. It's a really no, I agree with you. It's a it's a good piece that you can take that artistic license to and use it to kind of create that learning moment for people who have never kind of experienced. What year did Brooks? Go in. I it think was he like, said 1906. Yeah, so then to come out in the 50s? He came out in 56. That's insane. Yeah. Like, to just... And I mean, yeah, he, he makes a point of saying something about, you know, how the world's gone and got itself in a big damn hurry. You know I like I mean? the line where he says, I saw an automobile once as a child, and now they're everywhere. Yeah. And to just really think about... That's absolutely true. That, that must be so strange. For us, I feel like that'd be like waking up and be living with the Jetsons. You know what I mean? Like the world would be yeah. completely different. And so, you know, that part of the story, which is about what, halfway, a little further than halfway yeah. through? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's like one of my least favorite parts because it, I find it so sad. You I think it's the most, yeah. it's the most dramatic and emotional part of the film. Yes. And I, you know, my heart goes out to this character so much because he's just a poor little old man. Well, they never say what his, what his crime was, but he was sentenced to life. And 
was really not a dangerous person, not a threat. I mean, obviously, they let him out on parole. And he just couldn't cope in the world. And it's my one of my least favorite parts of the whole movie. Because it makes me sad. <laughs> There's the point where he's uh, he's feeding the pigeons on the bench. Mm-hmm. And he says something like... Because he had Jake, the, the crow, crow. The crow. And I think it's a very good point to make. Because I'm sure there were a lot of people who were in there for 40, 50 years who felt that way. And without... Uh, stretching out the character of Brooks, you wouldn't have got that. No, not at all. It it wouldn't have played into it whatsoever. That's there, really interesting. There is a mention of another inmate who used to have a pigeon called Jake. Hmm. Um, and he just put those two it's together. Kind of a, an amalgamation. Yeah. yeah. And there is that line in there where he's he's feeding the pigeons, and he says how he's just waiting for Jake to come back. He's just always just waiting for him to turn up, mm-hmm. and he never does. And I just think that's such a true thing because you would be feeling that way. You'd be like looking around every corner and just waiting for Jake to show up because yeah. it's just an interesting line to put in there that wasn't in, that the, wasn't story. in the story. Uh, either. Okay. No, Jake wasn't his pigeon, and they made it a crow because crows are cooler than pigeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just such an important thing to tell this story about people in with life in prison to show that history of like, oh, this is what they're like when it's old men and they finally get out. You know, how does that make mm-hmm. you feel? And he, he calls Shawshank home because the outside world is so strange to him. Well, it's foreign. It's completely foreign. Yeah. It really puts that d- dramatic weight behind it. And you got to give credit to Frank for being able to do yeah. it in such a way that he does, particularly with the, the actor, uh, the way he plays it, his big bushy eyebrows, but there's just like these sad old man eyes. I thought he was so well cast. Yeah. Like... My heart really goes out for that character. He's a he's a classic actor from the Golden mm-hmm. Age, James Whitmore. Um, funny little fact is that uh, he was nominated for two Oscars uh, throughout his career, but he never got them. But he did have an Emmy, a Tony, and a Grammy. Hmm. So if he did have an Oscar, he would have been one of the very few people to get all four. That's really interesting. So, so, yeah, he's a classic actor, and you can probably see it in that role. That's really cool. Um, one of the other main points is, in the book, Red actually is Red. He's, he's an Irishman with red hair. Oh, really? Yeah, so he's a white fellow with freckles. And I think Morgan Freeman, you couldn't go wrong with Morgan Freeman. And I said, I love that line. And you're like, what? He's like, why do they call you Red? Must because I'm Irish. You know yeah, I mean? <laughs> and he, they play it off as a funny sort of joke. Yeah. While in the book, it's like, oh, that makes sense because he's, he's got red hair. Is, yeah, he's yeah. actually got red hair. Yeah. He's probably even got an accent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the one telling the story. He wanted to work with Morgan Freeman, maybe. Could I don't be. know. Yeah. I think this movie really put Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins on the stage because you, they hadn't really done much before that. Uh, Morgan Freeman was in Driving Miss Daisy, which was kind of big. But I think a lot of people remember him from Shawshank these days. Another point that was interesting is that in the film, uh, there's Tommy Williams, who was able to testify for Andy Dufresne and give him a retrial. And then the warden, being the evil bastard that he is, had him killed because he didn't want to lose Andy and all the knowledge that he had of the scams that he was running. On, you know, his ability to launder that money. Yeah. Mm. And in in the book, he's just transferred. Oh, really? They don't kill him. See, I think that was a... All of these kind of choices that they made, made for, like, a really strong, compelling story and, yeah. you know, brought up emotions better because... It I makes mean, you hate the warden more and Hadley. Which is what, like, 
what a good film should do. You know yeah. what I mean? And good actors should do. Because, I mean, you know, you've seen some things where it's like, I hate that bastard. You know what I mean? Like, you just, yeah. if it's done well, it elicits those emotions. And I think that was the point of some of these directorial decisions. And I think that's why there's such a big payoff at the end when Andy Dufresne does get the better of him. Yeah, it just makes it that much better. Yeah, because, because so awful. Mm. In the book, he retires and goes and works at the Baptist church. Really? Yeah, you just don't get. Okay, so there's quite a lot of the book that is identical to the movie, like word for word. I think but made the thi- it better. The thing, yes, <laughs> yeah. the things that he did change, uh, he changed for the better. I think, and mm-hmm. I think you agree with that, mm-hmm. um, because th- there is no. That whole conspiracy at Shawshank plotline, like Andy is running his books, sure, mm-hmm. um, but even the fact that he made up Randall Stevens while he was in prison through the mail system, that fake identity, is well, his his friend does it outside outside, outside the prison in the book. In the book, yeah, he gets the money from investing all of his money back when he goes into prison in 1947 in stocks and shares, while in the movie. He takes the warden's money, which is a hell of a lot more satisfying, really, because he yeah. makes out the warden to be such a prick. I think these decisions, what they serve to do is to create really more rounded characters, which for a movie you really need because you don't have that time to kind of flesh out your characters and, and how, you know, their traits and their personalities mm. like you do in a book. You know what I mean? So these decisions... I'm just, I'm thinking, great job, you know what I mean? Yes, he's just, very good. And he yeah. hadn't really directed at all, ever. That's really interesting. And he hasn't really done much since. He did The Green Mile, which was also Stephen King, prison movie. Um, and then he did The Mist, which is also a Stephen King novel, which I haven't hmm. seen, that one. But he's only directed, like, four, five things in his life. Did a good job with them. Though. Yeah, he's, he's, hmm. he's pretty good uh, and good with, with Stephen King. And that's why they, uh, they kept the same warden from the day that Andy Dufresne got in to when he left so that you could make that emotional connection and build up a single character because in reality and in the book there'd be a series of wardens going through in that 20 years well even in the movie uh brooks had said you know in the 50 years i've been here there's been six wardens yeah and i mean 20 of them was was norton yeah at least because you don't know how long he had been warden before andy got in Mm -hmm. usually when you see uh or read a book and then you see the film there's quite a lot that they cut out. In the film. In the film. Yeah, yeah to, to time restrictions, you know. Mm-hmm. It's particularly if it's a really detailed or big book, you got to cut a lot. You know, it's, it's understandably, people are usually angry about these things, but it's understandable. Mm-hmm. I think with the size of a novella, this thing was like 90 pages. So it's really the perfect size to make into a film where you don't have to cut a lot because no, it is... they actually fleshed it out. They fleshed it out a bit more. It's, it's really a good length to sort of make it a uh, whole... And there's a few things in the film that are kind of plot holes. You're like, yeah, okay, that's a bit, uh, you know, how how does the concrete work? You know what I mean? Like, it looks like it's mud. I always thought, thought for ages it was mud because of the way it crumbles. Mm. Um, and then he breaks through the sewer pipe by s- smashing it with a rock. And that thing's like two inches thick, you know? And mm-hmm. I always think, like, how does that work? Was there no sewage treatment plant? And uh, all of this is explained in the novel. Oh, really? Yeah. Basically, the concrete is shit concrete because it was built in the 30s and they didn't have reinforced concrete. And they well, it almost looked like plaster. It did, I mean? yeah. yeah. And they were they were going to upgrade it. 
as with the sewage system, they had connected every other cell block to the plumbing system, uh, and they hadn't done it for this one yet. And it's porcelain, which completely makes sense as to why you'd be able to break it. Like it was if, a porcelain pipe. Yes. Okay. Which even my dad's house, and he did his plumbing, he dug a hole in his backyard to fix his pipe, and it was all porcelain. That's really interesting. Because his house was built during the war. So if you... If you had some sort of background knowledge about what infrastructure was like at the time, it would make sense. Or if you weren't yeah. willing to do the background knowledge, it would make sense and it would be possible. Not that everyone is willing to go into that much level of detail. I'm just saying that movie. when I first saw it, I thought there was like, oh, really? Is that That's not possible, you know? Like, why is it the wall like 10 feet thick? What, what, you know? I just thought, yeah, as if Red is going to like just stumble across this one rock along this one wall, you know, it just seemed a bit forced with the movie. Before, you know, time restrictions and things, but these things are fleshed out more in the book and it's a little more satisfying in reading it. Mm -hmm. Because he mentions how every Saturday, he on on his days off, he would go out to a farms and it took him months to find that one particular wall. He was just using that compass. Oh, okay. So it is fleshed out and does make sense. It just fills in the holes a little bit better than the movie does itself. After Red receives parole, he goes out to go find that field with the obsidian rock under the oak tree and everything, right? That Andy had actually told him about, how many years before was it? It was before Andy ever broke out, so it was years before Red Uh, got out. About the... Where he told Red about the rock? Yeah, he said, go to... Go find this rock, there's something waiting for you Just before he broke out. Actually, yeah, it was that Which is about a year before Red got parole. Was it only a year? Yes. Okay. Either way, it's before before Andy has a chance to go there to put the money and the letter and everything. And so I'm wondering, he's he's acting on an assumption that everything's going to look the same as it did 20 years before when he was there. And on the assumption that if it does, it will continue to look that way for the next however long until Red receives parole. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Like, how... What do you do? What would he have done if, say, for whatever reason, I mean, I'm assuming it was in, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but that it became developed, that that wall got bulldozed. And he was doing a lot of research. This is explained in the book. Okay. Uh, he was doing a lot of research into developments in that area uh, just to make sure that they hadn't put a freeway through or anything. And he was getting more anxious because he could see the developments working out towards those farmlands and those farmlands getting bought up. I think we were talking about this earlier, and I I think it's interesting that you almost need the book to explain a lot of the little loopholes that the movie doesn't cover. I think it's still satisfying without the loopholes, but it's just that extra filler. I mean, because I think the movie did a really good job of taking the kind of more flat parts of the book and rounding them out, but you almost need the book... If you're really that curious, you know, you need the book to fill in those little, well, this doesn't quite make sense. Yeah. And it does that really well. It did that in a couple different places that we talked about. So. He, um, Andy had access to Shawshank's blueprints. Mm. So he knew that there was a sewage line that wasn't connected to the treatment plant and that goes out to the polluted river and that his wall was so thick and what it was made from. So he did did his research. He's obviously an educated man who had access to these things in the library, and he was in with the guns and things. So he did have 
that information, but it's just not explained as much in the in, in the, the movie. Yeah, and like I was saying, I don't. I think it's still a fantastic movie without that. Um, it's just nice that we kind of have the luxury to be able to ask these questions, and you can say, "Well, actually, King kind of, you know, fleshed that out in the book a little bit too." I really like this movie. Did you like this movie? I've seen it several times. I love it. Okay. Why do you love it? Why does it make you feel that way? I think it's just a nice story, really. It's just, it's a compelling story. It's a it's a redemption story, I guess. And that's probably why it's so high up there is because you really feel for Andy and you want to... You want to root for him. You want to root for him, mm-hmm. you know, in his triumph. I find, because, I mean, we've both seen this, like, a lot of times. Like, a lot of times. And I find that... I'm I'm drawn to those kind of easy watching, easy listening things. It's not too it's not too much of a thriller. There's not too much suspense. There's not I mean there's emotion and it's really well placed and well played, but it's just something where it's like you really could you can just put it on and it's not going to get you too worked up. Why do you think this is rated higher than any other movie ever made? By Film That's goes. a really good question. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm almost forgetting that it's the number one. It is. It's rated as the, the number one best movie of all time. But all those other lists don't have Shawshank up there, which is fine. You usually have The Godfather or Citizen Kane. Why is Shawshank on this particular list? Honestly, I think we have to uh, recognize the fact that it's got Morgan Freeman in a leading supporting role. Interesting. And... He has been I, in a lot of roles before. I think he's fantastic. I think I think his performance influences this movie's ranking. I think it does. I think it's a combination of factors. I think I think the plot was just it's when I say linear, I mean that it makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like it just it flows. There's every element that you'd want of a good story, right? Like you've got your protagonist and his friends and you've got your bad guy, and you've got a few different bad guys, so there's kind of... They're not even side stories, but, you know, there's little bits... Conflict for a while. Yeah, so you've got, like, his interactions with the sister, and, you you know, conflict with the guards, and then with bringing in new people, like, with Tommy, right? Or even the guy who dies at the beginning. Um, so it's got it's got its main story. It's got these little, you know, side pieces and interactions. Um... It's got kind of a trajectory for different characters, like Brooks, like Andy, like Red. But it's still got that nice linear plot line that you can follow as a viewer that makes it easy to watch and you don't have to pay too much attention, which is nice sometimes. It's a nice story and we crave those happy endings and it's like one of the best kind of ones that you could hope for. He triumphs over the bad guy and... And goes and lives his life the way he wanted to. Which I'm glad Frank rewrote it because you wouldn't have those little triumphs as much as if he had just done it as true to the book. It's true to the book. Because you wouldn't get Norton at the end. And you don't really know whether Dufresne actually made it in the book. You just get the postcard and then Red goes after him. So it's just little yeah. things where it's just like you're really rooting for Andy. Mm-hmm. Because he's innocent, when you and know you think he's given, he's given up his whole time. Well, you don't actually know that in the film. 
you don't actually know until Tommy comes along. Actually, that's true. And that you get the very same feeling that Red's character does because you're like, holy shit, he's actually innocent. Mm-hmm. Which he he was surprised at after knowing I, him for like 15 years. I guess I forgot that because I actually I've seen this so many times. Yeah, so like I just I know the story inside and out. So. I think this film shows the inside of a prison better than any other movie. There's obviously a lot of prison movies, but not really to show you what it's like to live on the inside for decades and decades. And there's there's quite a lot of spoilers in the the book. Oh. Which is done really well in the movie. Because even from the beginning, uh Red talks about how people have escaped in the past. He talks about how Andy had a a roommate for eight months, and he always had a draft in his in his room, and he's like wondered why it was always so cold. Hmm. And Andy makes a point of saying how he feels like he wants to step through the posters into freedom or whatever. You know, he just adds in all these things where if you're paying attention, you can literally tell what's going to happen at the end. And I kind of don't like that the way that King wrote it. Um, but I think the movie does it in such a good way because you're feeling the way Red does and you're starting to think, oh, is he going to hang himself? Because you wouldn't think there's something behind the wall. No. And it, he, there's a there's a point in the, the book where he just says, oh, in 1975, Andy Dufresne, he escaped from Shawshank. And it's like, oh, well, I'd rather you show me, not tell me. Yeah. So I think it's done really well because uh, Morgan Freeman's character mentions... How it's the longest night that he had in Shawshank, just waiting to see what Andy is doing, and then you don't see him step out in the morning, and you're just you're wondering the whole time, and then the guard goes up there, and you can see the look on his face. It's yeah, great. It's, great. it's really well done, and I just there was just so many spoilers, and like I knew what happened obviously because I'd seen the film. You'd seen the movie already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was just an interesting point from the novel. We have been Daniel and Brenton this week. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or comment on SoundCloud. And until next week, thanks for listening.